In this episode, I discuss the results of the Kristen Smart trial. I analyze the disappearance, then reappearance of a family of four. I detail the story of a woman who was buried alive. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including funny stories from my trip to Colorado. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for October 24th, 2022. All right, everyone. It's Monday nights, and this must be the live show. How's everybody doing out there? I'm doing real good. It's good to be back in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Of course, I'm going to be telling you about um, my little trip out to Colorado and back as far as, of course, as much as I can say. And got a spectacular show uh, planned for you, a combination of unfound info, national news information. Going to do a little analysis uh, there. And uh, I do, you know, it's just not like I show up to this microphone uh, and just do these things off the top of my head. I have a nice little outline off to my left that I follow. And I'm hoping that all of you will um, find it informative, but also be entertained at least a little bit tonight. And if you are listening for the podcast as an audio program, and dare I say it, uh, the, un- the the live show is doing very well as a podcast. Uh, finally got the stats for the first full month in which it was on its own feed and um its own feed and of course the, the the podcast unfound podcast where all the disappearances happen now it of course has its own feed and uh doing very well i think this is a very good choice on my part to separate them and uh so i'm very pleased with how that is going so far so that's real good as you are watching tonight or watching in the replay Please give this uh, live show a thumbs up. Do not forget to do that. You can just do it right now. Get it out of the way. You know you want to give it a thumbs up. Just do it. Laptop, desktop, tablet, phone, whatever. Even if you're uh, watching on a Commodore 64, I would like if you could give it the thumbs up. And if you're not yet a subscriber, maybe you're finding this live show for the very first time. And you should know, uh, very common. Even though Unfound has been out for over six years, I still get messages from people who say, man, I'm a true crime person and I just came across your podcast recently. That still happens. And I think it's fantastic. Doesn't say much for my marketing abilities, but it's still fantastic. So if you are finding this live show or the channel just for the first time, hit that subscribe button down there in the bottom right-hand corner. Once again, just do it right now. Then you won't have to ever think about it again. 
And if you're feeling uh, like you want to go one step further, just hit the join button and you get some cool extra stuff for a very, very low cost per month. Some things that nobody else gets. Of course, I'd love everybody to be a member of this channel, but I know it's maybe not for everybody, but it might be for you. So think about it. Hit the join button, check and see what you get there. And uh, I think you're going to like it. So consider doing that. So let's see who is uh, who is uh, taking time out of their Monday night to um, watch, partake in this show as it happens live. And I should state, you know, some of you may be listening to this and you're not sure what is this unfound live show? When can I, if I want to watch it live, when is it? It's every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on Unfound's YouTube channel. You get to see me if you care about such things. And you'll get to see me make funny expressions and you'll get to see my beautiful hair. And you'll get to see what my condo here in Clearwater Beach looks like in the background and all of that stuff. Or maybe you just prefer to listen and that's fine too. Let's see who's here. Charles, uh, I got to see everybody. I got to see Charles last week. Uh, Charles and his sons, my grandnephews, and we had a great time. We went to Chipotle. We had to go to a couple different places before we found a place that was actually open. But we we landed at a good spot. I love Chipotle. They love Chipotle. And it was good seeing uh, them. How convenient was it uh, for me to be in Colorado? They came up to see me just like they did last year. Had a great time. Nephew Charles, good to see you. Charlotte, uh, Charlene coming to us from Ireland. Good to see you. Uh, Charlotte, Moana, there's hope. Good to see you uh, coming to us from the Bay Area. Wow. Never been there. There's hope. The Real from Australia, Deborah, Paula, good to see you from the Think Tank. Fairy, moderator, Charlie Bravo, who is absolutely ecstatic that her Astros are in the World Series. Kathy. And the Oracle. Good to see you, the Oracle. Hope you're doing well. And the Reels laughing at my my sixth Commodore 64 uh, days uh, comment. Um, you know, I never had one. I just know that a friend of mine had one, and would go. I'd go over to his house and would play video games on it. There was like this Olympic game. Must have been from like 1982 or something like that. It's just the first thing that comes to mind. Hello, Charlotte, Barbara. What's going on, Kristen? Kristen says, do you have to be on a laptop to see the join button? I don't see it, but I'm on my phone. Uh, Kristen, if you are on an Apple phone, then you are going to have issues. Apple and YouTube do not get along too well. Valerie, uh, you're a little bit late, Valerie, but that's okay. Um, the real says I've been, been watched the entire four part Netflix series on DB Cooper. That's one of those mysteries that, uh, the real that just keeps giving and giving and giving. And, um, you know, it's the real, it's kind of like what I've always said about the JFK assassination. Maybe I talked about this last week. I, I talk about this so often. Sometimes I lose track of when I've said it last, but, there is no new information regarding the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. But books still continue to be written about it for some reason. Uh, I feel like the same thing about D.B. Cooper. 
Uh, there hasn't been anything new regarding D.B. Cooper so that, since that money was found on the riverbank some years after this all happened. So, but the reason they continue to make these things, because why? Because they make money. Uh, Ferry says, why couldn't you find anything open? In Greeley, Colorado, probably because it's Greeley, Colorado, Ferry, and it's not Las Vegas. Probably that's the reason. Uh, the well, the pizza place that we went to, that we went to last year, is shut down. And then we picked out this other place that I, I think was kind of a Mexican restaurant. They were having water problems. And I think uh, Charlie, did we maybe take a look at some other place and it was closed? And then it just turned out that Chipotle was still open and um, that uh, that Chipotle was open until a decent hour. And in fact, being that Charles has been in the restaurant industry many of his years, he even predicted, given that it's a corporate store, probably be open late. And he was right. And actually, they were fairly busy. I thought that Chipotle for a... Wednesday night at like 9.30 or whatever it was, was fairly busy. So they must do good business there. Um, Hello, everything. Uh, you must have learned a lot more. Yeah. Charles says, good evening. Uh, wild night at your store, right? You're at work, Charles. A wild night, huh? Maybe some, uh, maybe you'd like to write a little bit about that in the comments, uh, in the chat. And then Charles adds, Creeley is kind of in the sticks. It really is. Uh, having, uh, having ridden in a van there and back it's kind of like you're out in the middle of nowhere then there it is and you should know charles i looked up the population of greeley colorado 108,000 it's not a small city and jump in, indeed jumping for a chipotle yeah chipotle is always good okay so that's everybody in it's in the chat once again remind want to remind all of you um to uh, give this video a thumbs up as you're watching tonight. Charles says, uh, yeah, but yeah, Greeley may be 108,000, but 90,000 of those is sheep. Okay, Charles. So um, what's going on in, in my life? Uh, have not played any disc golf since last Monday. Of course, it's been a little busy uh, going to Colorado and back. That essentially took up three days of my life, even though I was only there for two nights. Everything was spectacular. The arrangements were spectacular. The flights were spectacular. This little hotel, boutique hotel that I stayed in was fantastic. And I posted some pictures on my personal Facebook page. Maybe some of you saw those. It was just so crazy. And it was really nice. And it was not, it was a little farther walk than it was last year, but totally fine getting to the courthouse. But it really, uh, the arrangements that they had for me uh, were fantastic. Uh, getting, you know, getting picked up at the airport, getting driven back to the airport, everything was just really, really good, and I compliment them on that. But uh, no disc golf since last Monday. In fact, I think I've made the decision that I, I, I need to, after seeing all those pros play at the USDGC like two weeks ago, that. I might think about just re totally revamping my game, just totally tearing it down and starting from scratch again. Thinking about it because, you know, just think that, you, no, 
I sometimes get the feeling being that I've been playing for 10 years, my, uh, my game feels kind of like when you build a house, you know, you build this little house and then over the years, um, you know, you start adding on to it, but when you add on to it, the next time, like architecture has changed. And then, um, then a few more years pass and you add on it to again, and architecture has changed again. And so in the end, you have this huge mansion of a house and you're proud of it and everything, but it just kind of looks, doesn't look right uh, because different sections were built at different times. That's the kind of the way my disc golf games feels right now. And so I'm thinking about just going back out to the field and not even really throwing, just tossing the disc, trying to pretend like I never played disc golf before. I think that's where I need to go at this point. I won a lot, played a lot of good disc golf this year. No reason to be sad at all this year, even though I didn't make the cut at Worlds. And the last time I played over there at Cyprus Point, I didn't play very well. But overall, this is not a year that I really could have predicted as many times as I won. And and finishing third up at Floral City in a in a pretty large uh, inter, intermediate field and all of that a year ago I don't think I could have predicted any of any of that and so I've done well to get my mind kind of back but I'm just thinking about kind of starting from scratch so that's uh, where I am and really I have to play next weekend but it's really no big deal and I'm supposed to play down in Bradenton. In November, we'll see if that happens. And really, I don't have any any real tournament that I really, really, really have to play until February when my my friend Cameron's GCCO, the biggest tournament. It's become like the biggest tournament in Florida now. Um, I really, really, really don't have to play again until then. So it gives me a lot of time to think about what I want to do and kind of starting from scratch. So that's where my disc golf game is. Maybe I'll find some time to, maybe I should maybe get out and throw once before this Sunday, but we'll see if I don't, I'm not going to worry about it. Moving on um, next week, of course, next Friday or next Monday is Halloween. So I haven't decided if the live show is actually going to be that night, or maybe we just might move it to Tuesday. Because I know a lot of you will go trick-or-treating. Many of you have children, or maybe you'll have people showing up at your house. I realize that many of you are not in the Eastern time zone, at least in the United States. Some of you are in Central, Mountain, and, and Pacific. So I have to take that into my calculations. So we might move the live show to um tuesday next week but i'll of course let you know got a lot of time to think about that uh also what's going on with me of course this week is iron maiden week and on thursday evening so i won't be going to trivia i'll be missing trivia again um my buddy dana and i dana disc golfer tournament director here in this area of florida uh if you'll remember he and i went to see judas priest last year but he and I are going to see Iron Maiden right here in Tampa over where the Lightning, the hockey team, plays, the, what they call the Amelie Arena. 
And it just seems like yesterday I saw Iron Maiden, but I actually haven't seen them since 2019 when my buddy Doug and I met down in kind of in Dr. Telesco territory in Southeast Florida. I haven't seen them since then. So I'll be seeing them on Thursday. I think this is the final show of the, the American part of their tour, their U.S. part of their tour. So I'm looking forward to that. I've not ever seen them in the Amelie Arena. The only other, the other two times I've seen them were down there where the, what is it, the Florida Coyotes or not the Coyotes, the Florida Panthers hockey team plays. So this is a big week. I've been listening to, I was listening to quite a bit of Iron Maiden over this past weekend. I was listening to today and I'll continue to, you know, kind of get me in the mood for going to the concert. On Thursday night, my buddy Dana, who is a fan of Iron Maiden, has not seen them in like 30 years. So he's all pumped up and he's a big fan, uh, but hasn't had the opportunity. And so I haven't picked out what Iron Maiden shirt I'm going to wear. I have so many. I must have 12 Iron Maiden shirts, probably something like that. So I probably should get them all and take a picture so everybody can see them. But uh, I haven't picked out which one I'm going to wear yet. We'll just have to see. But that's a big deal. So that'll be uh, Thursday evening. Really looking forward to that. And uh, I think I'm going to be going to do some uh, shooting. I haven't shot my guns in a while, but I'm a member of the shooting club again here in Pinellas County. It's probably tomorrow morning. I'll get up early and go get a little shooting done. I haven't done any, like I said, I haven't done any shooting in a while. We'll see how good I am. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So that's probably going to go on tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And uh, what's everybody saying here? Uh, Deborah says, bah, in relation, in re, uh, relating to Charles's um, comment about sheep in Greeley, Colorado. And then the Roracle says, love Halloween. Can't wait to dress up. Makes me feel like a kid again. Well, the Roracle, you got to tell us what you're going to dress up as. You got to tell us what your costume is, isn't it? And that goes for anybody else. If you're planning on uh, dressing up for Halloween, uh, whether it's this weekend or on Monday, we want to know um, – what you're going to be uh, for Halloween. I'm of course not dressing up as anything, but maybe if even if you have kids, uh, maybe you want to tell us what they're dressing up as. And I think all of us would love to hear all of this. I'm always very interested. I don't have kids and I don't dress up, but it's always interesting to me to hear uh, what other people, what people are going to be, you know, choosing to dress up as. Of course, a lot of people tend to be fairly trendy things that are in pop culture or movies or, TV shows, and then some people maybe go more traditional, Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, things like that. The Royal says, deciding between a couple different costumes, uh, it will be scary though. Okay, and Moana gives us a little ghost emoji. The Real says, I'm a bit lazy about Halloween costumes. I put on a Ghostbusters t-shirt and I'm done. Oh my goodness, The Real. Oh my goodness, a Ghostbuster t-shirt and that's it. Okay, gotcha. Uh, talk me, uh, ask me, how can you afford ammunition? Well, I will tell you, talk me, I've had my ammunition for a while. 
because I haven't been shooting very much. So um, I'm guessing that probably, really, I only have to buy ammunition for two guns. Uh, you know, I only have to buy two different brands of ammunition, 9mm or 5.56. And I've had this ammunition for a while, a few years. So, um, and I bought a lot of it back at the time. So I haven't done a lot of shooting, but I bought a lot of ammunition a few years ago. So I can't even remember what it was at the time. So I do remember at the time, maybe having a little bit of a tough time finding ammunition online, but I, I think I ended up doing all right. As far as price goes, I think I did. Okay. But so how can I afford it? Uh, probably because I got it before it got really, really expensive. And really I've not even looked at ammunition prices recently cause I haven't had to. So I don't even know what they are right now. I couldn't even tell you, but luckily the ammunition that I'm looking for is just about as common as it gets nine millimeter, which is traditionally the cheapest of all handgun ammunition of the least popular ones. And five, five, six, once again, very, very common. And a lot of different manufacturers and everything else. So that probably helps. Now, if I was shooting 10 millimeter or if I was shooting, you know, I don't know, um, 357 or what is they call it? 357 SIG or something like that. So, you know, these, you know, these cartridges that certainly are very good, but they're somewhat rare and a little exotic. then that might, of course, be an issue. But I'm just a nine millimeter guy. I'm I'm just boring. Uh, also, uh, what's going on with me is, uh, for a while now, I've been putting off getting my car painted. Um, some of you uh, I know follow me privately on my Facebook page, where I really don't talk too much about unfound stuff, but I do post pictures and I crack jokes and all sorts of things there. But uh, some time ago, I posted a picture of the roof of my Hyundai Sonata where the paint is peeling. And this is a very common uh, problem with Hyundais and Kias from certain years. And Hyundai is only helping certain people with certain cars at certain mileages. Well, my car is six years old and it has 99, I'm just almost to 100,000 miles. And so I don't think, even though I know it's a manufacturer defect and I didn't cause it or anything, it's, you know, how long, if I really wanted to go for the process, how long am I going to have to wait? Even if they are going to pay for something, you know, for everybody, how long are we going to have to wait for that? By the time it gets done, you know, my roof might start rusting or something. So I've been putting it off, but now that got busy October out of the way, um, I can finally get this done. I got it looked at today by a body shop. They ended up emailing me an estimate uh, a few hours later. Very reasonable. I'm very pleased. I think the price and everything is very reasonable. I don't think I'm getting ripped off. I think they'll do a fine job. They have very high ratings and everything. So finally, I'm going to get the roof of my car painted, and that'll be a load off my mind because it, you know, just a little bit, little flakes here, little flakes there, and it's starting like at the windshield and working its way back. 
And, you know, if I lived in a drier climate away from salt water, you might be able to let that go. But not where I live. I live right at the beach and it's humid and everything. And so that's really on my mind. So I'm finally going to get that handled. I think I'm going to call them back tomorrow. Probably get something set up for like next Monday. They're going to need my car for two and a half days. But getting that fixed will probably be a big load off my mind. Because one of the things is that given that it's been like this, my car hasn't, the car doesn't look horrible. But the car hasn't been washed in a while because I know as soon as I wash it, like I take it through one of their washers, even get it like done by hand. I know that paint on the roof is just going to even peel way, 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 way more. So I've been avoiding it. Well, now get it painted, get the car washed again, get it detailed and everything else. And that will also be something uh, that's very good. So I'm glad to finally eventually being able to get that off of my plate. And maybe some of you have a car that has that problem where the paint isn't dulling. It's actually flaking off like an onion. And so you can then see the metal. It just comes right off and it's the gray metal. Um, And it's common for these cars. It's weird that these cars in, in so many other ways are perfect. My car even though it was a rental, I bought it as a rental with 30 some thousand miles on it. It has been flawless. 60,000 miles. I still have yet to put brakes on it. And I drive mostly city driving, uh, replace the battery. That story from about six weeks ago, replace the tires. That's been it. It's fantastic. But the paint is a weak spot in these cars and why that is. I don't know. But really excited about finally getting that handled. And uh, then I can start getting my car washed regularly and it'll look better and won't have to worry about it rusting <laughs> from the top down. Uh, everything says nine millimeter is fine. I think it's fine. I know, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, some people, when it comes to guns, they're like, well, it's, you know, it's 45 ACP or nothing, or I know I got to have my uh, 10 millimeter or 40 caliber. You know, um, there's a reason that nine millimeter is uh, so popular and so many guns are made in that caliber and everything else. And I, I think it's just fine. And once again, uh, I'm not a police officer or anything. I, I have a gun for personal protection and surely nine millimeter is good enough for that. Sarah, what's going on? Good to see you. You said you were going to be here and now you're here. Good to see you. Good evening to you with the little emoji. In other news, uh, got together, went to this good pizza place this past weekend, uh, called infinity pizza. And uh, the reason I went there uh, is because two of the, the a couple married couple on my trivia team, Steve and Patty, their son not only works there, but I think he's part owner of it. I think, and I heard good things about it. I wanted to try it out. So myself and my my friend Sarah, who coincidentally is Steve and Patty's next door neighbor, and I've known her for over a year, uh, we got together up there. I hadn't seen her in a while. Um, you know, when was the last time we went and had lunch 
Wow. When was that? Must have been sometime this, this past summer, maybe in June or something like that. So I hadn't seen her in a while. But um, we had a great time. She did most of the talking. I'm more than happy to listen. Of course, that's what I do with the podcast, just listening to what the guests have to say. So she did most of the talking. It was good to see her. Um, she was looking great. I mean, we're just friends, but she was looking fantastic, dare I say. And it was good. The pizza was great. If you're in the Tampa area or you're in Pinellas County and you would try out a pretty good new pizza place, try Infinity Pizza. They really, it's kind of like a comic book theme inside. And, and so they have like a life-size statue of Deadpool in there. And um, they have some video games and pinball machines and things. I didn't get to play any of them. Maybe next time. But it was uh, it's a really cool place, and it's gotten very good reviews. And uh, so Sarah and I had a good time. It must have been a couple hours of just uh, hanging out. She was telling me about uh, – she's originally from New Hampshire or New Hampshire. And she was we were talking about her hometown. Her hometown it sounds so much like my hometown of Leechburg, Pennsylvania. So we can certainly relate on that level. And she had to go back there for some reasons. She was there for about 10 days, and that's about all she could stand, which is also something I can relate to sometimes going back to Pennsylvania. So it was all good. Uh, Yeah, everything agrees with my 9mm comments. Sarah says, sounds yummy. Sarah says, catching up on your podcast. Well, Sarah, how many... um, you should tell me how many have you listened to? How many do you have yet to go? I mean, we have like 340 episodes of the podcast now. How many would you say you've listened to? And then there's Lorelai, former uh, Lorelai, former guest on Unfound. What's going on, Lorelai? Good to see you. Uh, Sarah says, um, you've only listened to like 12 or 14 of them? Oh, my goodness, Sarah. You got an adventure ahead of you. Good luck to you. Good luck to you when you got like 300 some left and the average length of them is like an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, good luck to you. I hope you have a good, I hope you have a lot of time on your hands. So uh, Sarah says, I just discovered your channel. I was just talking about that earlier, Sarah, that it, um, you're not sorry. Don't, you no need to be sorry. I'm excited for you. I'm absolutely 100% excited for you, Sarah, to, to go through that journey going back uh, through the past six years. So uh, good luck to you. And um, before I get into um, going to Colorado and all that, I do have to pass along to you a funny story. I have some funny stories from Colorado, but I want to tell you this funny story from just today right here in Pinellas County in Florida. Uh, You know, the Powerball is tonight and, uh, it's up to like 600 million or something like that. And I went and got, I, I went out and went to a couple different body shop places. And then I had to get gas. And then on my way home, I stopped at the place I usually get my mega, mega millions or Powerball ticket. And you should know, I only play when it gets up to like the big numbers, like 400, 500, 600 million. I don't, really dilly dally around when it's like a 20 million or 40 million, but it gets up to 400, 500, 600 million. It starts getting my attention. So I went in there and like I said, this is the place I usually go to, but I usually don't go there during the day. So I'm not familiar with the clerk 
Usually I'm there at like night, like 10 at night or something. So I have my own card. There are numbers that I play, the same numbers that I play every time. And I'd cash, of course. And I gave it to her. And she asked me if I wanted to play the multiplier or whatever that is. And my answer is always no. So I'm playing, I play two different numbers, two series of five in the Powerball, two of those different kinds. So it's $2. So it's a total of just like four bucks. That's it. And it's on one, you know, one of those punch cards. And I just give it to her and she runs it through. I get the, the ticket. I get my punch card back and I'm out of there. Well, she asked me if I wanted the multiplier or whatever. And the answer is always no. So I said no, but when she typed it into the computer, she hit yes. So when the ticket got split out, spit out, it, the, it was instead of $4, it was $6. Well, I had only brought $5 in with me. And so I told her, you know, I didn't want the multiplier. And she like mumbled under her breath. She did not react to my comment very cordially. <laughs> All right, let's just put it nice. Uh, she did add use some swear words. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, you're the one that messed this up and everything. But then I started thinking, you know what? It's only a buck more. Okay. And I said, hold on. Don't do anything. Don't, you know, and there were other people there. I ran out to my car, just happened. And I usually never hardly, I hardly ever have cash on me. But I ran out, I had a dollar in my car, went back, got in, and I just said, here, six bucks, don't worry about it. Six bucks. And took it. But but as I was giving her money and she took the money and gave me my ticket and my punch card back, but she said something that ended. I ended up thinking about later. She said that she did something in the computer, but I really didn't catch it because I gave her the money and took my stuff and I was out of there. So I'm driving home. I'm over here in Golf Boulevard. It's about a three-mile drive from where the gas station is to where I live, and I'm driving north on Golf Boulevard, and I start thinking about what she said. And I start wondering, did she cancel my ticket? Did, you know, and did she, this ticket that I have, and it's sitting right over there, um, did she cancel it? Because I didn't want the multiplier. Did she go through and like, you know, do something in the computer? So maybe this ticket isn't good anymore. And then I start thinking, what happens if I have this ticket tonight? My number is hit for the big, but that big, you know, 600 million or whatever it is. And then when I go to turn in my ticket, they tell me, oh, no, 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 your ticket was canceled. So this is racking my brain. I'm driving, I'm driving north, I'm driving north, I'm driving. And I start thinking, am I going to have to buy the same ticket over again? Am I going to have to do this? This is just the way I am. Because I realize the odds of hitting are like one in 300 million or something like it. Some crazy, crazy odds. We know how rare, you know, we know what the odds are. It's all crazy. But still, I could just foresee myself seeing my numbers come up, thinking I have the winning ticket, showing up at the lottery office, and then they say, oh, no, we scanned your ticket. It was canceled. 
I could just see that happening. And, you know, and if that happened, I just don't know what, what I would do. Even though I know it's not my fault, it was her fault. She wasn't listening to me. So you know what I did? This is the honest God truth. I drove right past my building here, kept going north on Golf Boulevard, went to a store over right there in Clearwater Beach, bought the same numbers. <laughs> bought the same ticket with the same numbers. Of course, no multiplier. So that was an additional $4. So either way, I'm covered. So, so if my numbers do hit, and of course, they'll be getting drawn right about time this show, show ends. Um, it's, it would be really, really, really funny if my numbers did hit and that number, the other ticket wasn't canceled and I had two tickets that were the same and I win. That would be a crazy, crazy story. But I just started thinking about it. And I was like, what if that happens? And what if I'll be like, you know, Ed, all you had to do was go someplace else, or you could have gone back to the place you were just at um, and just buy another ticket. It's only $4. It's only $4 that it can ease your mind. You know, and how would you be able to live with yourself if you knew all you had to do was just go get another ticket for a measly $4 and all of this could happen instead you kind of blew it off or you, you know, or whatever else, or you went cheap, I guess, and didn't do that. And then you'd be the person who hit Powerball, but really didn't. So I drive right by my place, went over here in Clearwater Beach. There's a store right there that I've gone to before because it's like open till midnight, uh, you know, to, you know, get a drink or something and got Another ticket, the same exact numbers there. So I actually have uh, two tickets. In fact, I'll go get them right now. I'll show you. Here they are. <laughs> so, um, so that's my funny Powerball story from today. I'm, I'm guessing that maybe happens more than I realize, but it was just the way she acted and everything that I started thinking, what if she, you know, what if she did really void? I, I, and somebody saying, well, she shouldn't, if she canceled it, she shouldn't have taken your money. I know that. But at that point, I don't even want to chance it. I don't even want to chance it. Especially since all I had to do was drive a, 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 a mile North of here, different store. I had a couple, still had a couple bucks. It's $4 for those numbers. Just do it again. And so now I'm covered. Very, but just, just so, you know, just a weird story uh, to buy numbers for the same drawing that are the same. I mean, how often does that happen? Everything says she shouldn't have taken your cash head. Well, I know if canceled, I know. But I just... Just couldn't take the chance, everything. I just, you don't even know. I mean, anybody, just not myself, anybody. To think you have the winning, you know, even if it's not even $600 million, even if it's just $1,000, to think that you had the ticket, but then there was a confusion and it got canceled and everything. And all you had to do was like spend $4 more. 
you know, most people would be driven mad by that. I think, and I think I would have been too. So that's why I got another ticket. Uh, Sarah says, Oh my God, I hope that doesn't happen. The real, I have Powerball ticket this week because it's a major jackpot and I haven't, I haven't bought a ticket in two years or so. Um, I only, like I said, I only buy it when they get really, really, really high. And I never buy any of those scratches. I, you know, I'm not one of those people. Um, so, um, I only buy it, you know, cause once again, you have to realize when you look at the jackpot, really it gets cut in half. And then if you take the cash ops and like you take all the money at once and then it's in a half again. So when you're looking at 600 million, really in the end, if you take the, the cash option, it's, <laughs> I'm laughing at this only 150 million. Whereas if you take the annuity, then you get like the full half the amount. Um, but most people just take the lump sum because you just don't know how long you're going to be here. Um, yeah, everything's, yeah, the real 100. So it's 160 million in Australia right now. I wonder how much that is in US dollars. The real, here's something funny. I play my ex-boyfriend's birthday numbers because I know he does too. And I'll be darned if... Uh, if him hitting the jackpot and I don't, that's funny. Uh, Talk Me says, I can hear the news in the morning. Two winning tickets sold within five miles of each other in your Tampa, Florida. That's what I'm talking about, Talk Me. That would be a spectacular story. That would be fantastic. What a story. What a fantastic story. I mean, at that point, though, all I'd be doing is caring about the money. But a fantastic story for everybody else. Uh, the real says, so if he wins the jackpot on his birthday numbers, I'll get half his money. Well, maybe the real, um, maybe Charlotte's laughing. The Oracle better safe than sorry. Never know. You could win. Hey, everybody has an equal chance. Fairy says, or she kept it. Maybe she did keep the money. Maybe there's hope. If you win the lottery, they might end up being an unfound episode featuring you. (laughs) Ha ha. Lots of crazy stories surrounding lottery winners. That is true. Uh, all I can tell you there's hope is that I'll probably go live someplace uh, with big walls, with uh, a moat with gators, a mo- moat surrounding it with gators in it or something. We'll just have to see. So that is my funny lottery story. Very unique. Did not expect it, but that's what happened today. So there you go. All right, let's move into uh, unfound stuff. That was Got all of my personal life, well, most of my personal life out of the way. Can't tell you all my personal life. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, the real says, will you go missing? We'll know it was the Gators. That happens. Moving on. Um, of course, this past Friday was, the, we'll get to the um, the poll now, the Freeman poll. Angela Freeman, who went missing from the Petal, Mississippi area in 1993. Her mother, Deborah, was the guest. And in the discussion group, in the poll, overwhelmingly, uh, the audience selected that Steve, the guy she went to see that night, was the person who caused her disappearance. The Think Tank, uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, if you'd like to join, pretty much agreed with that. Uh, Although, you should know the Think Tank was very small yesterday evening for some reason. So there was only like three or four of us in there, but... 
pretty much that uh, Steve did it. Although, Paula, I know you're in here. Paula actually, during the course of the discussion, actually changed her mind. I don't think I'm at liberty to say how she changed her mind. But uh, she actually changed her mind because of our conversation during the think tank, which I thought was very interesting. And then me, myself, and I, uh, the blog that I write at uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I have to tell you, I also decided that Steve caused her disappearance. You know, I could be open to the idea that might have been she was so distraught over something that she caused her own disappearance, maybe harmed herself, and that's why that puddle of blood was there and then jumped in the river. I could certainly, you know, I'm not going to totally close my mind to it. But on the other hand, to think that she went to see Steve, but then some other person caused her disappearance, you know, really challenges my imagination. It's a little too far of a stretch for me. So once again, I, I would love, I know, I know many of you are not yet Patreon supporters for one reason or another. You should be. And I'm talking to all of you who are tuned in live. I'm, I'm talking to all of you who are watching this in the replay. I'm talking to all of you who are now listening to this as a podcast. Please consider supporting Unfound and everything we do at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. $2 a month, $5 a month, $12 a month. Please consider it. Appreciate it. Um, Sarah says that was a good one. The Real says, I miss the think tank staying with family at the moment, but I agree that Steve caused her disappearance. Yeah, The Real, where were you? We missed you. It was just a very small group. Still, we managed to end up going over an hour, though, the real. There's hope Steve definitely acted suspiciously as well. I would say you're about right. There's hope. Um, Certainly. Moving on, I want to talk about my trip to um, Colorado. Of course, I'm going to do that. And I have three uh, funny stories for you. I, I really can't get into... If you want to read about me being on the stand and everything, the way it was covered, uh, you'll have to go to the GreelyTribune.com and maybe pay for a subscription or something. Although I did copy the article and post it in the discussion group. And if you're not yet part of the discussion group on Facebook, you should be. So you can read the article that was written about my appearance on the stand. And I'm just going to let that article speak for itself. I'm not really going to get into you know, all the questions that they asked me and, and everything else. And you know, eventually I will get the transcripts. I'll pay for the transcripts from my part. And I will post those in the discussion group. I'll post it on our website, theunfoundpodcast.com, so you can read it for yourself. But I have three funny stories from my trip, and I'm going to tell them uh, in order of, uh, of when they happened. And Sarah says, the most recent podcast... Yes, the most recent podcast concerning uh, Angela Freeman. That's what I was talking about there, Sarah. Yes. So here is story number one, and maybe this gives you an idea of kind of like one of the things that goes on behind the scenes uh, for a trial. And this happened uh, last year too. One of the things that I had to do both the last, both the first time and this time is that when I got to Colorado, I had to go over to the courthouse, had to walk over there, and I had to listen to the entire interview that I did with Steve Pankey. 
And now I shouldn't say the entire, it's not the interview that I listened to is not the one that played in the episode because due to legal procedures and things, there were certain parts of the interview that I did with Steve that were taken out. And in fact, I will tell you that the interview that played this time, the way it played was not the way it was the first time around. My impression is they took even more out this time. Still, it ran three hours and 14 minutes. But one of the requirements was that I had to show up. They put me in this room, uh, assistant to the prosecutor. Her name is Irma, who did a fantastic job. She arranged all my flight, both flights. She arranged transportation. She arranged my hotel room. She did a fantastic job. But part of her job is also kind of managing the witnesses and making sure they get there on time. If there's anything they have to do before they get up on the stand, She's in charge of that, and she did a great job. So she had me go into this room, and it was uh, the interview was on a CD. She puts it in the computer, and the room is very comfortable. There's no windows, but there's a couch there. I could have a drink there. You could kind of just, you know, kind of chill out and, um, you know, kind of put my feet up. And all I had to do was sit there and listen to the entire interview. That was the only requirement. I could be playing chess on my phone or whatever, kind of. But as long as I'm listening to it and, and recognizing that, yes, this is myself talking to Steve Pankey way back in October of 2019. And, yes, this is an accurate representation of the interview I did with him. That's all they want. And so when it's done, just like last time, this time, I had to sign off on it. So this disc is there, and I think she asked me just for my initials, but I ended up signing my whole name. But then that is then used in court before they play the interview for all of the jurors. So what will happen is at some point the prosecutor comes over to me with a disc. Is this the disc you listened to? Is that your signature? Yes, yes, yes. And then they put it in the machine and it plays. That's how it all works. That's the way it works for me. Some, maybe some other witness didn't have to, of course, I think I'm the only person who interviewed Steve that was played in court. So I'm the only one that has to do that. But some other witness might be required to do something else before showing up in court. But that was my requirement. And it was just chilling, just sitting there. I had my drink from Subway. So here's the story. Funny. So I'm sitting there. And uh, I had like a sweatshirt on. I took the sweatshirt off. I took my shoes off. I mean, I was just kicked back, very relaxed, listening to the interview. And about two hours into it, I had to go to the bathroom. And she, Irma, before she left, she had all told me, if you have to go to the bathroom, you need, it's just out this door. It's just around the corner. It's just like within a few steps. Great. And it's, but it's in the courthouse. And it's really not that far away from where the courtroom is. So I'm just chilling out. But about two hours in, I have to go to the bathroom. So I get up, go out into the hallway. I don't bother to put my shoes back on because, like I said, it's right there. The restroom's right there. So I go into the bathroom. I do my business. And the, the at that point, the courthouse, I don't see anybody. It really is like... I know there are things going on in there because you kind of kind of hear that I don't see anybody. So I go into the bathroom, do my business, come back out, round the corner to where this room is. And I go to open the door. 
and it's locked. So when she opened up the door to let me in there, she didn't make it so the door would actually be unlocked. It was still locked. So when you shut it behind you, it would automatically lock. So I'm standing there, can't get into the room. My phone is in the room because I had taken it out and just put it like on the table there. Didn't have it in my pocket when I went to the bathroom. The phone is in there, so I can't call her. On top of everything else, the courtroom, the whole courthouse area, it's a little bit of a maze because it used to be a prison, and they turned it into a courthouse. And I'm thinking, well, where is Irma right now? Is she in court? Is she back at her office? And I really don't know which way to go. So in addition to that, suddenly all, all of, out of nowhere, as I'm standing outside this door in my socks in the courthouse, people start showing up out of nowhere. It's like they, there was a break in a case or you know, people taking a break. And all of a sudden, all these people like in suits start appearing and they're walking down the hall like out of nowhere, like on cue. It was like the Truman Show or something. And here I am. You have to visualize this. It's a courthouse. I'm in my socks. I'm wearing jeans. I'm wearing my deep purple burn shirt. And I got this hair. And every single person who is walking by me is looking at my feet. And they, they had to be thinking, what is this person doing? Why is this person with long hair wearing a rock t-shirt and in socks? What is this person doing in the courthouse? How did he get in here? And I'm guessing... You know, maybe some of them did think, as Deborah is writing, you know, that yells prisoner. And that's kind of what I was thinking, too. So I was just kind of, and there was a guy that walked by, looked like a maintenance guy. I asked him, hey, do you have a key to this door? And he goes, no, no, I don't. Sorry. Sorry. So I'm like, well, how long am I going to have to wait here? What, you know, what am I going to do? And I, because I didn't expect Irma to come back for like another hour or something, because she knows how long the interview is. So I figure, you know what? I'm going to have to walk back to her office to see if she's somebody can page her or call her or text her or something. But I don't really even know where I'm going. <laughs> In my socks, of course. So I go into this stairwell. And I start going up and I start thinking, I think this is a bad idea. What happens if I'm looking for her and then she comes by, she goes in there and I'm not there. You know, what's she going to be thinking? So I get like up to like the next floor and I think, start thinking, you know what? This is probably a bad idea. I think I should just go back down there, wait outside that room for as long as it takes. But on the way up the stairs, I had passed a woman coming down the stairs. And she also looked at me, looked at my socks, and I could, she was probably thinking, what's going on here? 
but she didn't say anything. None of these people ever said anything. You can just tell by the looks on their faces. So I get up to the top. I'm like, no, this is a bad idea. I spin around, come back down the stairwell, open the door up into this hallway right where the room is that I'm supposed to be in. And that woman I just passed on the stairwell is there. Don't know why. She was standing there. And so just I said to her, "Uh, excuse me, would you happen to know Irma? She goes, yeah, I do. And I was like, thank goodness. Uh, I'm supposed to be in this room here. It's locked. I went to the bathroom, came back. It's locked. Could you get her? Do you have a key to this room? Can she come down here and unlock this door? Because I'm locked out. My phone's in there. I would call her. She goes, don't worry. I'll take care of it. So I'm thinking, finally, okay. All right, it's good. So I'm just standing out there. And then as once again, as I'm still standing there, the last two people who pass me are a man and a woman in suits uh, who pass me. Once again, they're kind of looking at me, you know, in a suspicious way. <laughs> once again, because I'm standing there with the long hair, with the rock shirt on and in my bare feet or not in my socks. So a couple minutes later, Irma shows up. We have a little laugh about it. She didn't, I don't think she realized that she didn't totally unlock the door. I get back inside. No problem. All right. And so, but it was, it was, that must've been like seven minutes, something like that of me trying to figure out people staring at me, people wondering who I am, people wondering why somebody's walking around in the courthouse in their socks with long hair. What is going on here? Well, the kicker to this story is that then the next day when I showed up for court in that afternoon on that Tuesday afternoon, I show up and I'm not in the courtroom until I actually have to go up on the stand. So I get called in, go up, get sworn in, sit down, look over at the defense team, and guess who – Uh, Steve Pankey's two lawyers are those last two people who passed me in the hall before the the door was unlocked. So Steve's own defense attorneys saw me standing there in my socks the day before that was the kicker to all of this, that I didn't realize it until uh, the next day of who actually saw me. and, And two of those people were actually his attorneys. What are the odds? So that's the first funny story, and uh, I hope I told it well. What's everybody saying here? Uh, uh, how embarrassing that yells prisoner. There's hope. Oh, my poor Ed Wowsers. Uh-huh. Uh, everything says they thought you had escaped. Uh, Moana gives a little laughing emoji. Everything is laughing. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good story, and I told my dad about it, and he got a tremendous kick out of it. Second story. So I'm up on the stand on that Wednesday afternoon, and it's before we've gotten to the part where the interview is going to play. But uh, prosecution's asking me a few questions. A little bit into um, the questioning, something came up for something, and they needed to um, – you know, have like a conference. Well, if you don't know, I don't know where they what they do everywhere else. 
But in the, this Greeley courtroom, it's not like law and order where when the judge wants to speak to the attorneys, like everybody walks up to the, you know, the, the, the judge's stand or where he's sitting. They don't do that. They actually have a special system where the defense and the prosecution, they have these little earpieces that they'll put in their ear and the judge will be able to whisper into his microphone and only and there's like this like a hissing sound that then appears in the courtroom that comes out in the courtroom. And so only the judge and the attorneys uh, can hear can talk back and forth. The, the jury's there. The gallery's there. But nobody can hear what they're talking, even though he is speaking into a microphone. It's this very closed audio system. They had this last year, too. Very interesting. Never saw it before. I just thought everybody still walked up to the to the to the the judge's spot, but they don't do that there. Well, this is what was going on. And then all of the sudden the judge starts laughing and the lawyers start laughing. I don't know what, I don't even know what they're, I guess that's the point. We're not supposed to know what they're talking about, but whatever they're talking about, somebody said something that caused them all to laugh and everybody saw it and you could hear it. And so I'm just sitting there, and the, and the the judge says to me, and I think this will have to be in the transcript. The judge says to me, "Serious, this is this happened." The judge turns to me, and I, like I'm sitting like this, and he's like over to my right, like in a diagonal. He says to me, "Mr. Denzel, uh, I don't want you to think you know we're not laughing at you or about you. We're not talking about. It. I just want you. I know we're laughing, but we're not laughing." Uh, at you or anything. I don't want you to be paranoid or anything. The judge said this to me. And so in response, under oath, I said, that's okay. I can take it. And that got a chuckle out of everybody that heard that because my microphone, everybody could hear. So uh, the lawyers, the jury, the gallery all got a chuckle out of my response to the judge. I didn't think it was inappropriate. They were laughing. He said something to me that I never for it went for one millisecond thought that they were talking about me. But being that he brought it up, I couldn't help but make a joke about it. So there was that, which I thought was pretty funny. So there was a, a little point of, of levity within all of this. And everything says classic Ed. It is classic Ed. That's, that's a good way to put it, everything. And so the final story, uh, funny story, is that TD says, I may or not live in a state that had a p- very pivotal trial that year or so ago. They used that kind of headset system due to COVID. Yeah, I, I don't know, but may, they're continuing to use it there in Colorado. It's very, you know, I guess it does save time. You know, the walking up and worrying, it's, it's a very interesting system. It, they like flip a switch and the, like this, it, it, it sounds to me like uh like just static noise comes through the, the speakers, but in their, in their earpieces, they can hear what the judge is saying. Very interesting. So the third story is this, and this did not happen until the defense um, started asking me questions. You should know the defense asked me a lot more questions than a year ago. Of course, different attorney now. So right toward the end of my 
uh, you know, me being up there and being asked questions, like within the last two minutes of me being up there, like I said, the defense, and I'm not going to go into what the questions were. It asked me quite a few questions, nothing that was really dicey or anything, just really just asking me about the podcast, asking me about a lot of different things regarding just unfound and, and things like that. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm really trying to answer this guy's questions, but I have to admit that the questions, I have to admit, just weren't that clear to me. He was asking me one thing, but I have to admit, in at least a small way, it just didn't make total sense to me. Like he had said something about the interview. Like I said, I don't want to get specifics. But I, I don't know if there was just me misunderstanding him or whatever. He was certainly speaking English. I mean, I understood, but it was just a little confusing to me. And so I think that I was getting a little anxious. I, there was nothing that he was saying, you know, that was against me or it was anything like that. But because I felt like we were not communicating well, I was starting to feel a little anxious. And so what happens when I do that is, this is, I think, genetic, that I started like, started my answer before he was done answering the, asking the question, horrible, horrible uh, etiquette on my part, horrible. And I was doing that and I, and I apologize. And so here's what happened. I was doing this and I'm looking over at the defense attorney who is like off to like a diagonal left. Like if this is 12 o'clock, like 11 or 10 o'clock. From out of the, the complete opposite direction, I hear a woman's voice say, say, Mr. Denzel, could you please wait? for the attorney to finish his question before you answer. And I'm thinking to myself, the judge is a guy. Who is this? And so I turn over. It's the stenographer. <laughs> and she's saying to me, I guess what I was doing was making her job very difficult because he's talking and then I'm talking. I'm not allowing him to fish. And once again, my fault, not the attorney's fault, nobody's fault but my own. Because I was feeling a little bit of anxiety because I just thought that there just wasn't very good communication. The, the question he was asking me were kind of confusing me a little bit, and I was feeling a little anxious. So the, the stenographer has to tell me, Mr. Denzel, could you please wait until you ask the question before you start answering? And then I think the attorney asked me one more question, and I was done. And I, and I looked over and I apologized to her. I said, sorry. And so we finished. Uh, the prosecution didn't have any more questions for me. The jury didn't have any, because the jury can ask questions too. They didn't have any questions for me. So then the judge says, Mr. Denzel, you're free to go. You're done or whatever. So as I'm getting off the stand, I have to pass right by the stenographer within like two feet of her. And I just leaned in again and said, I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. And she smiled and nodded, and I was done. So those are my three, I guess, kind of funny stories uh, regarding my appearance. Once again, nothing I have to do. I really don't want to get into the specifics of any of the questions or anything. If you want to know that, you can just read the article that's in the discussion group now. 
But that was what went on while I uh, was uh, there. Now, you should know also that I was not required to sit up on the the witness stand for the entire interview. Uh, I want to thank the judge and the defense attorneys for allowing me to sit in the gallery. That certainly made it easy for me, easier for me compared to last time. So I just got to sit way, way, way back in the corner and uh, just listen. I was listening very intently. And um, so that's kind of uh, my appearance in Greeley in a nutshell. Let me see what everybody's saying. Everything is saying classic Ed. Uh, Deborah, they really were talking about you. The attorney said at least he's wearing shoes today. Look at you, Deborah. Weren't you clever? Everything says, did you see Steve in the courtroom? Of course I did everything, but I didn't look at him. I referenced him. I kind of like motion when I was answering uh, a couple questions that were asked of me. I kind of like, I can remember motioning to him like with my hands, but I never did look at him. I didn't look at him last year either. I didn't look him in the eye or anything. Um, but the way that courtroom is set up, he's sitting very, very close to me. Uh, he's sitting within 15 feet of me like off to my, directly to my left. He's sitting right there. But I never did look at him. But I did reference him once again, because his name came up in my answers, I kind of like motioned to him like with my hands, but that was about it. Uh, but that is funny, Deborah. You are funny. Uh, Jasmine, the jury can ask questions. I never heard of that. Yeah, you can do that, I guess, in Colorado, Jasmine. In fact, last year, I did get a question from the jury. And it have to, had to do with what Steve asked about or said about being a personality type of an INFJ. I got that question. But yeah, they can do that there. All right. So that was my um, second trial experience. But I, I have all you. So you may be wondering, you know, Ed, what do you think? What are you thinking? You were there. What's your feeling and everything? You know, uh, I kind of feel the way I did last time. And in fact, I will tell you this. This morning when I was talking to that production company in England, I told both of the, these guys this. As all of you know, I'm a single guy. I've never been married or anything else. But I will tell you this. I would rather be married than be on that jury right now. <laughs> they... They have a very, very, and, and once again, if any of them are listening that you're not, the jury is not supposed to be taking in any media. So if any of them are listening or watching to this, you're not supposed to be doing that. They have a very, very difficult task. I do not envy them for even one millisecond. I know a lot of people like really want to be on juries and everything. That's really never been, my, you know, a, a desire of mine. But they have a very, very tough job in this case. I just don't even ask me. I'm just going to tell you. Would not surprise me at all if this was a hung jury again. Not surprised. Would not be surprised at all. It's just very, very difficult. And like I said, I was only in there for my own part. Um. But, you know, listening to that three-hour and 14-minute inter interview, 
And, uh, you know, just because I know what happened in the first trial, a lot of those same things, are, I'm sure they're going to come up a second time. Good luck. Good luck to all of them. I, I have so much uh, sympathy or empathy, whatever the word is, for them. I would not want to be in any of their shoes. Nothing. I would not want to be there. It's just, uh, I, you know, the one thing I have to admit, one of the things I forgot to do while I was up there, I did not get to ask anybody what the actual split was from the first trial. I forgot to do that. I don't know if they would have told me anyway, but I should have at least tried. Didn't do that. Um, very tough. Very, very difficult. Um, the Oracle says, so glad I got excused when sent jury duty papers. That is something I do not want to be on. Well, I guess the Oracle just depends. I mean, if it's something that's straight, you know, somebody's just going to trial because they want to go to trial. That's one thing, but it's just tough. This is a tough one. This is one of those things where if you're going to have to be on a jury, this is not the kind of probably jury that you want to be on. It's just it's circumstantial and everything else. Talk me. I never wanted to be on a jury much like I never cared for being a manager at my job and want no part of holding someone's future in my hands. Yeah. I know that feeling. Talk me. They have a very difficult job. And I think that uh, I give those people all the respect in the world for, you know, toughing it out and trying to make a good decision at the end. I give them all the credit in the world because I would not want that job. Would not want it at all. All right, let's move on to some national news. Um, being that we got about fifty minutes left, I want to talk about this family that uh, that disappeared and then reappeared. I'm going to read this article: A Michigan family of four who hadn't been seen or heard from for days after the father called nine one one and exhibited paranoid behavior has been found safe in Wisconsin. Uh, NBC affiliate Wood of Grand Rapids reported the police found the Sergliano family in the city of Stevens Point, Wisconsin, around 11 a.m. Sunday. Authorities interviewed all family members and determined they were safe. They are still of the opinion that people are after them, but the elements of the investigation do not meet the criteria for protective custody, the police department said. The family member that was requiring full-time care has been cared for by other family members. Additional details were not immediately available, and Fremont police could not immediately be reached for comment. Fremont police and Michigan State Police previously said family members had not heard from Anthony and Suzette Serigliano, both 51, or their sons Brandon, 19, and Noah, 15, since October 16th, and their phone had been, has been turned off. Their disappearances prompted both police departments to issue missing persons alerts for the family. They were last spotted at a gas station Friday in Gulliver in Michigan's Upper Peninsula buying fuel and food, police said. If you want to, that's where Helen Diamond disappeared up in the uh, Upper Peninsula. Early last Sunday, the last day other family members had heard from the family, Anthony Serigliano exhibited paranoid behavior, according to state police, who were assisting in the case. So here they are. Now, it, 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 you know, the, the problem I think I have with the story is the original story said that only the father, Anthony, was the one who was exhibiting 
paranoid behavior. Whereas you read this story now, it seems like the entire family is in on this. And it, and if you don't know, it had something to do with 9-11 and uh, believing that people were after them. And here is something that, you know, I don't know if we, we the public can completely understand this. Is that, here's what I think I know. Nobody is after these people. Nobody. Uh, there's nothing, uh, for example, just to, like some crazy examples. There's nothing that I've heard that like the mother or father was like in the NSA or the CIA and like they know information that's not supposed to get out. And so the government's after them or uh, they know something about 9-11 or something and they're terrorists after them. There's no news like that. And surely I don't believe it's anything like that. But I think what frustrates us as the general public being that the police are pro- su- supposed to protect and serve us. As I got to tell you, this family sounds like a danger. They obviously, as a group, I guess, are not seeing reality for what it is. There's nobody after these people. There's nobody after them. But now we know that there are a couple parents with a couple kids who are driving around in a minivan in the United States who believe that somebody is after them. And I start wondering, well, you know, what happens if they, you know, they continue to take this uh, paranoia, you know, they continue to believe in this. I mean, I don't know how it would go away unless they, they're, they want to do something about it. And then that's how other people get hurt. So I, I got to say, I'm confused that police couldn't take them into like protective custody for just the safety of the public. And let me put it another way. And this is, once again, how I think sometimes certain people get treated differently. Say there were four homeless people like this. Now, we know, of course, there's a, we have a huge mental illness problem with homeless people in the United States. Huge, like a big issue. But if the police came upon four homeless people who were talking about the government being after them and everything else, would the police just let them be? Would they? Four of them? They're just kind of roaming the streets of wherever. Would they do that? It seems to me it's more likely that a homeless person or a group, especially a group, that was talking like this would be much more likely to kind of be taken into custody, check them out, get them help, whatever, than it would be for this family of four. And that seems wrong to me. Because I can tell you, if, like, here I am living in this condo building. I, you know, I pretty much, most of the time, I'm on this floor by myself. Nobody is in 8A over there. Sometimes there are people in 8C on the other side of this wall, 
And 8D is totally getting renovated, so I don't know when the next time anybody will be over there. But let's just say that I found out that the people, you know, who were staying in 8C, you know, we're talking about the end of the world, and we're talking about people being after them because of 9-11 or because of the war in Ukraine or, or whatever. I think that I would make, that would make me a little nervous. If I would happen to meet them out at the elevator, they just happened to go downstairs. And one of them said to me, you know, somebody's after us. These people, the CIA are after us because we know too much about 9-11 and everything else. I know what I would do. I wouldn't be riding that elevator with them. So how is it then that this family can just be let go? Oh, we talked to them. Yeah, they're crazy. We know there's nobody after them, but we're going to let them go anyway. Do we not understand that maybe they, that paranoia might cause them to hurt others? And dare I say it, if this were to happen, would not this not then be something foreseeable? Because we know there are a lot of people who have caused mass shootings because of delusions. We know, yes, a lot of mass shootings, anger at the world, anger at an ex-wife, all sorts of things. Terrorism, we know that. But a lot of shootings and violent events are due to delusions too. People being – these people believing that people are after them and there's nobody after them. Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So this is, I'm puzzled by this. And, you know, where, you know, what is going to happen here? Do we really think that this, this, uh, this family is going to come out of this delusional state naturally? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I have not, of course we have their names. I haven't looked any of them up to see if the father or the mother, anybody, has a criminal record or, you know, have they been in the news before? Do they have a reputation in that area of like going down to a council meeting and saying, you know, they have a big fear about fluoride being in water or something like that. I don't know, but it just really stuns me that these people can be tracked down. They're obviously still not seeing reality for what it is. And they're driving around in a minivan and they just let them go. Tell you what, all those law enforcement agencies better hope that this family doesn't end up doing something rash. You know, what happens is if they th- start thinking like the manager of the local Walmart is after them and they have to go in and stop this guy? What happens? It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that the, the police could have done more in these circumstances. Um, and I, maybe it's, uh, here's where I, I didn't finish the story. The rest of the story was he, uh, the father called 911 and when officers arrived, this was before they went missing. When the officers arrived, he was talking about issues or information that he had regarding the September 11th attacks. It's been 21 years. I, this is just like, I was talking like DB Cooper, uh, JFK. I think that there's everything that we're ever going to know about 9-11 is already out there. 
so puzzled. Uh, I, I just, I'm going to keep saying, I, I know said it over and over. They were looking for them. They were worried about them. Law enforcement finds them, finds that, yes, they really are crazy and still lets them go. <laughs> okay. What's everybody saying uh, about this? Uh, everything says the family's on crack. Uh, probably not. Uh, I, I, yeah. Stephanie, yes, pretty concerning since they're in charge of a couple of kids too. Yeah, Stephanie, right. The Oracle, do you think it's a case of Foyla Duquesne or something else? Uh, you're going to have to translate that for me, the Oracle. Foyla Duquesne or something else. Please put that in English for me. Uh, I never did study French. Jasmine, I thought the same thing. I think they should have taken a harder look at them for the kids. Right, Jasmine. Shree says, missed opportunity. This will most likely escalate before it resolves. Yeah, that's right. We can't do anything because then they've done anything, haven't done anything yet. But the, I think the sh- thought should be, are they ever going to come down off this paranoid mountain? Uh, Charlotte says, that is so weird. Uh, Sheree is, the, I guess, uh, doing the, the um, translation for me. Uh, so do I think it's a care of shared psychosis or something else? Uh, everything says the cops should have done f- uh, more. The Oracle says foil of is defined as an identical or similar mental disorder affecting two or more individuals, usually in the members of a close family. I, I, once again, I'm not a parent, but <laughs> usually uh, teenagers at the ages of 19 and 16 are very reluctant to think the way their parents do. So maybe the the parents think the same, but you would think, you know, you you wouldn't think that the kids were going along with it. Uh, It certainly is. uh, Now that you're, you're defining it, the Oracle, um, it very well may be that way about the parents, but I guess what I'm also believing is, are they saying that they've thought this for 21 years and only now, they feel like they have to run away 21 years later. Uh, was the father thinking like this at September 11th, 2001? You know, what is going on here? This sounds to me like at least one person in that family is having some sort of really mental breakdown. And he's put in this person is putting his children at risk other people at risk, people on the roads at, at risk. Just let them go. Talk me says law enforcement has to walk a fine line. No line against being crazy, but also an obligation to protect the public, a very difficult position for them to be in. Well, you know, I agree. Uh, it seems to me when somebody starts talking about, you know, somebody's after me during a lot uh, because of 9-11, that sounds like a serious issue. In contrast to... If the guy was saying, well, I, 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 we took off because I think the teachers are brainwashing my kids. In contrast to that. There's just, both are paranoid, but certainly there are two different levels of paranoia. And we start talking about 9-11. It's a serious topic. And I think anybody who starts 
spouting off about it should be taken seriously. Even though if you think the person's lying and crazy and everything, you need to start really looking at this person and saying, what is this person willing to do to protect himself? Could this then put other people at risk? And when you start thinking about 9-11, I think that it's very possible that other people will then be at risk. Uh, Jasmine says the kids had autism. Then, then there's that. Yeah, that's true, Jasmine. The Oracle, there was a case of another family that had something similar, and the kids were adults. I have to look up the case, but they believe the parents. Fairy, none of they've been sheltered kids tend to go along with their parents, and as Jasmine's saying, they had autism. It's just that even makes me more think that this is some sort of mental breakdown. Or maybe the maybe the parents have autism too, and you know. Charlotte, maybe the dad has been saying this all the kids' lives and they're indoctrinated. Maybe that um, too. I guess what I'm saying is I just – I realize there's a lot of crazy people driving around in cars everywhere. But you'd think when you run into uh, some people who are saying something like that that you could take these people out of their vehicles before – the paranoia really takes over and, you know, they think they're getting chased and suddenly they're going a hundred miles down uh, some highway somewhere, take the exit, go through a stoplight and T-bone somebody. Because I mean, they're the ones who say somebody's after them. Then we should expect them to do all sorts of crazy things. Take go to, to go to extremes to get away from these people. These phantoms who are chasing them. I think that's the logic you have to use. All right, moving on. Kristen Smart. Jurors, this is still a disappearance, by the way. Jurors who spent months overseeing the trial for the men accused in the 1996 disappearance and presumed death of California college student Kristen Smart announced their verdicts on Tuesday, finding Paul Flores guilty and his father, Ruben Flores, not guilty in a mystery that has robbed the public for decades. Paul... Paul and his father learned their fate 12 days after the final panel of jurors received their instructions and began their deliberations on October 6th. Paul Flores' jury deliberated for roughly four days and found him guilty of first-degree murder. Ruben Flores' jury returned a verdict in about six hours and found him not guilty of acting as an accessory after the fact. You should know that these trials were taking place at the same time. Different juries, different judges, different lawyers... And one jury found Paul guilty, and the other found Ruben not guilty. Uh, Smart was a 19-year-old college student at Cal Polytech in 1996 when she vanished after vanished after an off-campus party. Investigators said more than 26 years later, Paul Flores, the man who was, was last seen with Smart, and his father stood trial for months. Now, I, I know many of you... Uh, are familiar with her disappearance. I think many of you th- believe that Paul Flores did this, and I'm certainly a- allowed to go along with that. You know, I- I- I'm inclined to go along with that. But given that Ruman was found not guilty, now, of course, what the prosecution's belief was, their theory was that Paul kills Kristen, takes her to his father's place, Berries are in the ground, and we've and in in the trial they talked about ground penetrating radar and dogs and everything. And of course, once they went once they went to dig this spot up, they didn't find anything. But the theory was that yes, after she was deceased, uh, Paul took over there 
Turover there, buried her there for a while. And then maybe when, you know, this, the oven started to get turned up a little bit more on all of this, he went back in there, dug her back up, and put her somewhere else. Well, I guess what we're saying now is maybe that's not what happened at all. Now, what's interesting to me about all of this as a person who studies disappearances, that's all I do. What's interesting to me is I think what's, there's kind of a paradox going on here. And what is it? What is the paradox of finding Paul guilty, but Reuben not guilty? What is the paradox in on this? Well, I'm going to tell you. We have to remember that you would think that radar, you know, according to the prosecution and science, there are reasons to believe that Kristen was in that spot at one point. And nobody can really believe that Paul went over there with Kristen, dug that hole, put her in it without his father knowing. I don't think anybody could really accept that. But here we have radar and soil analysis and all this stuff, which is supposed to be science, that allegedly said that Kristen was there, but Reuben is found not guilty. On the other hand, there's no proof that Paul Flores killed Kristen Smart, but he is found guilty. So scientific evidence wasn't enough wasn't enough to convict Reuben, but circumstantial evidence was enough enough to convict Paul. This this is what is so bizarre and complex, and I and I would say interesting about disappearances. That when you really start looking at what we would call a no-body case like Kristen Smart's is, that you do run into a lot of subjective thinking regarding all of this. You know, we, uh, you know, here in the 21st century, at least for juries, my impression is that science is so important. They want to hear about DNA. And you better have uh, blood evidence, and you better have fingerprints, and you better have all these things as a prosecutor, or there's a very good chance that that killer is going to be let off. And you know that's one of the things they're running into the Steve Pankey trial. Is trial. There's no scientific evidence to connect him to Janelle Matthews at all. But here we have a situation where more than one way of detection stated that Kristen Smart was in Ruben uh, Ruben Flores's ground. He's found not guilty. Paul Flores, who, I mean, certainly might have done it, but there's no proof that even Kristen Smart is dead and they convict him. <laughs> what a paradox. What a paradox. And I'm wondering... You know, I, I'm wondering for all of the, the both juries, for them now, and I think they probably knew that the other trial was taking place. The Paul Flores jury knew that the 
Ruben Flores uh, trial was happening and the Ruben people knew that the Paul Flores trial was happening. And I wonder now that they all know what the other jury decided, I wonder if they have regrets about their own decisions. I wonder. And you should know there was a, uh, there was a law and order episode Um, that had to do with this, where where they they tried two different people, two women at at the same time, but in different courtrooms, and it was a situation where the one woman killed the other woman's husband, and the other woman killed the other woman's husband. So it was like a crisscross, and actually, this is actually like what's a Hitchcock movie, Strangers on a Train. And the comedic version was throw mom up from the train. You know, this idea of crisscross. I'll kill your wife if you kill my wife, or I'll kill your husband if you kill my husband. Husband. Well, this was this plot in this law and order. And so this is what I was also thinking about in hearing how they had these two different juries and how these two different juries um, came to different conclusions. So now the, the jury that found Paul Flores guilty now knows that the other jury decided that, you know what? Kristen smart was never in Ruben Flores's backyard. Likewise, the Ruben Flores jury is now finding out, Oh, uh, that other jury found Paul Flores guilty. Well, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe Ruben Flores is guilty. I guess it's too late now. So, um, it's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. Um, uh-oh, uh, Sheree, we couldn't, we almost, uh, we had 24 minutes to go before we uh, got the uh, spam tonight, Sheree. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. Thank you for handling that, Sheree. But I'm wondering if all of you, all of you I, I know are more Kristen Smart experts than I am. Surely. But I'm wondering your reaction to all of this. Maybe um, some of you want to chat a little bit about it, type a little bit about it in the chat as we're finishing up tonight. That are you as stunned as I am that these juries came to different conclusions? Because my interpretation was that they were both going to come to the same conclusion, and that would be that both of these guys were guilty. And... So anybody who was following these trials, what do you think, if there, were, if there were mistakes made, what do you think the prosecution could have done more, could have done anything more to show that Ruben Flores was guilty? I mean, I don't know what to think now. I don't know if Kristen Smart was actually in his backyard or not. But if you believe that she was why do you think the jury then decided what it did? If you once, if you were following it, if you were reading articles on it, or anything else, I don't know uh, how much coverage was it was it on court TV. I don't even know. But anybody's insight to any of this uh, might be helpful to me because it seemed pretty clear that they thought, oh yeah, it's a slam dunk. Uh, Ruben Flores is going to go to jail too. She was certainly in his backyard. He certainly helped his son. And now Ruben Flores is walking around a free man while his son goes to jail. So any insight to any of that, 
I'd love to hear it. And of course, anybody who's listening to this as a podcast, if you would like to email me at, at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com to give me your insights into Kristen Smart's case and why these uh, decisions ended up the way they did, I'd certainly love to hear from all of you too. Um, going back, um, Talk Me says, going back to the, the, uh, the previous story about the family, uh, I think their paranoia definitely put the public at risk, but as soon as they pick the people up, there's a yellow page full full of attorneys waiting in line to say their civil rights were violated. Maybe. You know, but on the other hand, maybe there might be people who care about these people who say, yeah, these are exactly what these people need. Charlotte loves, I love, uh, Charlotte says, I love law and order. Me too. Kathy is showing her, um, knowledge of Helford Hitchcock movies. Walker killed Farley Granger's wife, but Farley Granger didn't kill Robert Walker's dad. Yes. Right. Uh, Kathy says, in my opinion, Paul Flores is guilty. He gave, Kristen ne- Kristen's necklace to a girlfriend. She had it. Of course, Ruben Flores is also guilty. Jasmine, I think they should have both um, been convicted. There was no way the dad didn't know about what the son did or might have helped him, at least after the fact. Sheree says, honestly, I think they're both guilty, but I think it was a th- it was thin against Paul, even more thin against Ruben. Logically, it makes sense that Ruben helped his son, but court cases aren't always won on logic, rightfully so. Uh, Sheree says they had A plus B for Paul, but they only had a hunch for Ruben. Did they only have a hunch for Ruben, Sheree? Once again, I'm not an expert on it, but it seems like they had all this evidence showing that, yes, she was in Ruben's backyard. Was, was that really not scientific evidence? Was that just hocus pocus mumbo jumbo? Um, maybe somebody can explain that to me. All right, moving on. I uh, got 20 minutes left. I want to talk about this woman who was buried alive. And uh, of course, the reason I want to cover this is because I think we're going to get a firsthand account of what probably has happened in a lot of disappearances we've covered on Unfound. A Washington State woman escaped after her estranged husband allegedly kidnapped her from her home in Lacey, stabbed her, and buried her alive in the woods earlier this week, according to court documents. This would have been last week. Police responded to the Rossburg Street home of Young on 42 on Sunday afternoon after a dispatcher answered a call and overheard muffled screaming and sounds of a struggle. The Lacey Police Department said in a statement, there was just constant screaming, and it was unknown if it was medical or not. The dispatcher also heard overheard banging and a barking dog, but then it got quiet. On later told police she dialed 911 from her Apple Watch after her hands were bound behind her back with duct tape. Fantastic use of an Apple Watch, by the way. Uh, according to a probable cause statement obtained by Fox News Digital, she said her estranged husband, Cheon, eventually smashed her watch with a hammer and dragged her out of the home. Responding officers arrived at the empty house with the garage door open. The couple's children turned up a few minutes later and told them that their parents had been there 30 minutes earlier. A friend also arrived and told police she had received an emergency text notification from On's phone. Young On previously had a domestic violence protection order against her 53-year-old husband. Court records show the couple are in the middle of divorce proceedings. 
However, the order had been rescinded and Cheon visited the house once a week to do laundry. Police found used duct tape at the scene. However, and due to the circumstances, issued an endangered missing persons alert to state law enforcement. Detectives recovered video showing Cheon had left moments before police arrived. Then around 1 a.m. Monday, young Anna reappeared, banging on a door on Stedman Road, about seven miles from her home on Rossford Street, saying her ex was trying to kill her and begging the residents to help. They called police, and she told responding deputies that Cheon had driven her into the woods, placed a heavy tree over her, and threw dirt over her. After waiting hours for a chance to escape, she told police she clawed her way out of her bindings and the shallow hole, then stumbled through the woods for about a half hour before she banged on a residential door and begged for help. When police arrived, she was cowering behind a shed on the property, clearly in distress. When Young realized the deputy was law enforcement, she sprinted at them, screaming and crying for help. She grabbed onto the deputy frantically and said, my husband is trying to kill me. Help me. Young on had extensive bruising all over her body, was covered in dirt and duct tape hanging from her neck and ankles and face. She also had been stabbed multiple times in the breasts. The deputy secured the home and young on told him her husband was still somewhere in the woods nearby. She was taken to a hospital after sunrise. A hiker saw the suspect's vehicle parked nearby and called police who subsequently, uh, subsequently arrested Che on at the scene. Responding officers also found a fresh grave type hole in the woods with more duct tape inside on it. They found some of young on's hair and the face of a broken apple watch. Cheon faces charges of attempted murder in the first degree, first degree domestic violence, kidnapping, and first degree domestic violence assault. And that's the end of the article. If any of you are wondering about what many of these disappearances surely look like behind the scenes, this is probably it. And all of those ones where we think that a husband caused a wife's disappearance you can just probably insert this scenario right in there pretty well. Pretty, pretty well. And really, this just shows how easy this is to do if some guy really wants to do it. Keep in mind, he was allowed to be over at her house, even though they were going through divorce. You read it, you heard in the article that he was showing up at her place once a week to do laundry, and that was permitted. And it just happened to be this time he shows up, and he decides he's going to kill his wife. And dare I say it, had she not had had an Apple Watch, say she had a regular phone, like, like my new one. I got a new one, by the way, right there. Loving it. Say she had a regular phone, and it wasn't in her hands. Then there are no 911 calls and there are no recordings of screams and there's none of that. There is no frantic texting or anything like that. And who knows how long it would have taken for anybody to realize that this woman was missing. If she had not had that Apple Watch, and, I, and you know, I'm an Apple fan, I, this MacBook right here, although I use Google phones, I do have a MacBook. I'm an Apple fan too. I'm a Dell fan. I'm an HP fan. I'm a computer fan. Um, without that Apple watch, surely things go differently here. 
It's very, surely she's dead. Surely, surely she's dead. But it, what's my gut is telling me is that this guy probably figured out that he had a plan. But when he found out that his wife had successfully called and texted people that kind of sped everything up, then he didn't end up killing her because then he was maybe thinking about getting away with it and kind of ruined his time frame and all of that probably saved her life. But when you think about disappearances like Marion Hurley, Rosemary Rapp, Angela Green, and many, many others we've had on this, Rhonda Smith more recently, this is probably as close as we're ever going to hear like the real thing. To actually hearing about whatever happened to this, just stick that right in there. For that big empty spot, in a lot of these disappearances, we really, really don't know because there is no, there are no signs of violence. Yes, her phone's left behind, her car's left behind, her purse is left behind, her car's everything. But there's still that big hole is, well, what then exactly happened? We believe Mr. Smith killed Mrs. Smith, but we don't, we have this big hole in, well, where did it happen? How did it happen? Where is she? You can just stick this in there. This is probably what all of those disappearances look like behind the scenes. A woman screaming for her life, needing help, but they don't get lucky like this woman did. It's just, ugh. Ugh. Uh, Fairy says, this happened right by me, five miles away. Uh, Shri, going back to the Kristen Smart case, Ruben is guilty then so is Susan. She lived there too. I think they are all culpable, but you can prove. Can you prove it? Apparently not. Uh, Cult of Bunny, love it. Uh, says that the story about this woman almost dying, that's just terrifying. Uh, Fairy says, never let them back in. I guess regarding, you know, soon to be ex-husbands. Kristen says, that's crazy to me, but I'm so glad she lived. My step-aunt was murdered by being buried alive a little over a year ago. Wow, Kristen, I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. Okay. Kathy says, Sheree, they are all culpable, but proving it is a different story. Once again, going back to Kristen Smart, at least your Astros are going to be in the World Series again. Yes. Um, Kristen says, it was, it was the first time I saw my step-grandparents crying. Kristen, uh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Brian agrees. And um, Sheree offering condolences to Kristen. So I'm glad this woman lived. I'm glad this guy got caught. I'm hoping he goes to jail for a long, 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 long time. Kids probably traumatized by all of this father doing this to her mother, their mother. But this is exactly, um, I'm sure what has happened in so many, maybe we can think about Linda K. Carroll, where we believe her estranged husband came over and dragged her out. Something like that. But uh, this woman is very lucky that her husband was sloppier than the men that we've talked about on Unfound. Because these guys on Unfound, as you know, most of them still walking around free men. 
and it's disgusting. Um, maybe one more thing before, uh, did not have any questions, by the way, if you're wondering, well, you didn't answer any question from anybody tonight, Ed, uh, I didn't get any and that's fine. Just a couple more things before I tell you about this Friday's episode. Uh, today I found out pretty, 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 pretty sure that I will be conducting a presentation at the University of Akron in Ohio. And that is, uh, it will be in November sometime. I think I have uh, a date picked out, but um, have not um, verified it yet. Um, been told that it's either going to be a Tuesday or a Thursday. Uh, so we'll just have to see. But it's going to be in the first half of November. And so I will be in Ohio, and I'll be sure to dress warm. And I really need to, to the person who kind of uh, made this happen, or like I said, nothing's in stone yet or anything, but it seems like it's going to happen, is that uh, a guy that I went to college with, his name is Mark, no, don't need to give his last name. <clears throat> uh, we went to college together. We graduated uh, the same year, 1993. Uh, good guy. Uh, we were in the same housing group uh, together, which is kind of like a fraternity, but without the hazing and all the the cult-like thinking of it. Um, but uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and his daughter is a student at University of Akron, and she is part of this criminal justice group. Like, uh, and she must be pre-law or something like that. And Mark, of course, knows that I have done these speaking engagements, and somehow he must have mentioned something to his daughter, and she got interested. And so, uh, although I've not spoken to her one-on-one -on -one yet, um, I've been invited to go speak there. Um, you know, they had asked me what it would take to get me to Ohio to speak, and I told them. And so this is uh, going to happen. I'm very excited about it. Of course, my dad is also very excited about it because if I'm going to Ohio, then I'm going to have to make a trip over to Pennsylvania too for at least a couple days. So I told him about this today. So I'm very excited about this. Um, and I really, really need to thank Mark uh, for, you know, you know, kind of even thinking of this and, um, you know, how it all came together between him, him and his daughter. I'm not totally, totally sure, but um, she surely does not follow me on Facebook, but he does. So maybe he must have mentioned something to her and I cannot thank him enough. It's just so, so great. And I've not seen Mark in like 30 years <laughs> since we graduated, but you know, Facebook, it seems like you just saw somebody yesterday. You see what they're doing and pictures and everything, but I've not been in the same room in it as him in like 29 years. So, um, but I really, really want to thank him. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, you know me. I love speaking to these kids. Love it. Love it. Don't get nervous about it. I get all excited. Florida Southern College, Nova Southeastern, Florida International, wherever. Always excited to talk uh, to these young people about disappearances and, and giving them some knowledge. And I hope they find it interesting. And I love their questions and all of it. It's all sp spectacular. Um. 
the Oracle. Glad she made it out of that horrible situation. Doesn't always end with the victim living. Uh, Ferry says the situation reminds me of Mandy Moyer. Uh, that's not a name that's familiar to me. And thank you, Ferry. I appreciate it. Um, Charlie, first time I ever had a bagel was at OU. I was 15, Ohio U, and I got into sitting on a lecture. The person that took me treated me to bagels first. Great memory. Sad to say I remember the bagel more than the class. So OU, you mean Ohio University? You know, OU could be like Oklahoma University. OU is Ohio University, Sheree. Um, One more thing before I get to this Friday's episode. Um, Ohio University. Okay, thank you, Sheree. Um, New article about Joshua Guimond. Maybe I put it in the group. I have to admit, I'm not sure what to make of it. But I guess... Uh, the police have finally decided to release a series of pictures of men who were on Joshua Guimond's computer. And there, and I posted the, the article with the pictures in it in the group. I don't know what to make of this. Um, and I know there's a podcast going on. Um, the Joshua Newville is doing uh, – his name just happens to be Joshua as well. And it seems this has come from that podcast and them looking into the computer and everything. Like I said, I'm just not sure what to make of all this. I posted the article, and I've had a kind of a back and forth with a listener who um, is believing that Joshua Guimond was murdered because he was gay. You know, he might have been hooking up, might have been meeting some other gay man, and that's why he died. And so I guess the thinking is maybe that guy is one of the guys in that picture. Like in the pictures, I, I don't know. What I, I really don't. It, it just seems to me that if this was all real stuff, that this would have been figured out years ago. It seems. So, and we have to remember also that other people had access to Joshua Guimond's computer just because there were pictures on it does not mean he downloaded them. And dare I say it, just because a guy has pictures of other men on his computer does not make him gay. So there's all that. But uh, maybe if you take a look at those pictures, maybe you'll know one of those guys. And I, I just hope that this isn't a situation where, go- where we're going to out people Men, you know, it's no business of ours who anybody, what anybody's sexuality is. And so, you know, what happens? They start numbing around. They figure out who all these guys are, start numbing around these guys. And these guys are living secret lives and things. This is the things that I worry about, think about. Got to be very, very careful with all of this because surely not, if even, surely not all of those men killed Joshua Gamon, as far as you know, is. Like, you know, I don't think Joshua was murdered. But even so, surely not all of those men murdered him. So a lot of innocent men are going to be dragged into this. And that's the part I don't like. Ferry, she's still missing from Tanina, Washington. She was gone when the dad brought his daughter back from her weekend visit. It's pretty well known. I helped in two searches. Her daughters were my students. I'll have to look that up, Ferry. Thank you for telling me about it. 
All right, let's go to this Friday's episode. This Friday, we will uh, be discussing, we will be covering the disappearance of Mark Allen, 13-year-old boy from Des Moines, Iowa. He went missing on March 20th of 2004. His brother, Chris, is the guest, and there will be video for this. We did do a Zoom interview, so... You all will, if you choose to, get to see Chris on the YouTube channel. And the title of this episode is Three of a Kind. Now, why is that? Well, Mark Allen, once again, a 13-year-old, went missing. Um, I'm sorry, why did I point March 20th, 2004? He went missing in 1986. I'm sorry. Why did I say that? He went missing in 1986. Well, in 1982, in Des Moines, Iowa, Johnny Gosh went missing, a disappearance that is still unsolved. I know many of you are very familiar because his mother's done a lot of media over the years regarding his disappearance. And then in 1984, another 13-year-old went missing, Eugene Martin. And he happened to go missing not far from where Mark Allen lived. That disappearance is still unsolved. Now, in both of those situations for Johnny's and Eugene's, both of them went missing while being in the process of delivering papers. I think in both situations, they never did get to start delivering papers. They went missing before that. But for Mark, he went missing while walking to a friend's house on a Saturday, the day before Easter of 1986. Now it was late in the day. It was dark. He said he was going to to a friend's house over on another street and never made it there. But the confusing part is nobody ever called his family to say that Mark didn't get there. And all these years later, nobody's ever come forward to say, oh yeah, I'm the person who, I'm the friend who lived over on that street. And I think that Mark was coming to see me that evening. So what we're gonna, I'm gonna be asking all of you to try to figure out is, are all three of these disappearances related? Johnny Gosh, 1982, Des Moines, Iowa. Eugene Martin, 1984, Des Moines, Iowa. Mark Allen, 1986, Des Moines, Iowa. All the same age. And it should be known that Mark Allen, he had a paper route too, but he did not disappear while doing that. And all three of these boys were also in Boy Scouts. So, do you think that all three of these young boys, are they three of a kind? Are their disappearances related? Did the same person or persons cause all of their disappearances? And so, uh, we're going to, of course, specifically cover Marks, but after the interview is over, I'm at least going to go through some of the generalities of Johnny's and Eugene's disappearances. And, of course, I would hope to be able to cover them somewhere down the road. You should know uh, I have made an attempt a couple times to, to contact Johnny Gosh's mother. She's not gotten back to me, but I've not yet made any attempt to, to contact anybody in Eugene Martin's family. So there you go. Mark Allen, Des Moines, Iowa, 1986. Chris Allen, his brother, is the guest. Title of the episode will be Three of a Kind. So that's it. That is the end of the live show. What did we do tonight? Uh, talked a little bit about disc golf, although I'm not doing any. 
Halloween coming up. Not sure if the show will be Monday next week or not. Uh, Iron Maiden Thursday. Going to do some shooting tomorrow. Car going to get painted. Saw my friend Sarah. Powerball. Actually, the drawing's happening right now. The Freeman poll. The Panky trial. Talked about a new speaking engagement. Joshua Gimon did not even get to show you my new hat. So what was going to do that? Didn't get to it tonight. That's fine. Talked about that family being uh, delusional about 9-11. Kristen Smart. And then uh, did not get to the story about the buried car, but I did get to the story about the woman who was buried alive. And then finished it up with this Friday's episode, The Disappearance of Mark Allen. That's all I got. Thank you all for tuning in live on this Monday night. Uh, keep your head on a swivel, as Cherie says. Good night to all of you. Have a great week. Charles, you take it easy. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Give this uh, thumbs up. All of you listening in the on the podcast app, give this podcast a nice review. Good night, everyone.